We're looking this morning from John chapter 16, from verse 5 through to verse 16. And we're picking up the story. Uh, Jesus has announced that he's leaving, and the disciples are asking lots of questions that we wish that we had had an opportunity to ask. Here, though, there's a question that really, um, actually, they've asked before, but this time they're not asking. Jesus draws it out and then answers it. And the way I put it this morning is, what could be better than Easter Sunday? So let's hear what the Bible has to say to us today. John chapter 16 and beginning at verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you'll see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. This is God's word. Amen. You can go ahead and grab your seats. What could be better than Easter Sunday? What could be better than walking in Israel with uh, Jesus himself? What could be better than being at the Sermon on the Mount and hearing Jesus teach those extraordinary words? What could be better than sitting at a meal with Jesus and eating with him? Surely nothing. And indeed, in the structure of this sermon, that's really the first point. In a sense, nothing could be better. Nothing could be better than that. I mean, the cross is the very heart of our faith as Christians. What could possibly be better than the death and resurrection of Jesus? In one sense, the answer is surely nothing. But then Jesus, having sort of drawn that out of the disciples while he's observing their grief, that he's leaving, that they're thinking nothing could be better than being with him. He draws that out. He then corrects it and says, well, actually, it's to your advantage. So in the movement of the sermon here, we're going to first look at this nothing. Nothing can be better than being with Jesus. Nothing. And then how Jesus says, actually, it is better because I'm going to send the Spirit, and therefore it is better for the world, what I just call everyone, The global impact of Jesus now 
you know, in the past he was in Israel, but now there's this global impact. And then uh, Jesus concludes with saying, it's also better for all the truth. So if you're keeping notes, you want to keep it clear in your mind, the way we're going uh, this morning is, what could be better than Easter? Nothing. But actually it's better for everyone. It's better for all truth. It's easy, isn't it, for us to live in a space where we think that, that there's, we've come to the pinnacle and it can't get any better. You know, or, or we've learned a lot about God and there's not much more for us to learn. We've, if not arrived, we've certainly been around church for a long time and we kind of know things. Or on the other hand, it's easy for us to think that things, things can't get any better because we're kind of in the pit, we're at the bottom and things are not easy. Things are tough for us, whether physically or spiritually. We're struggling to get over the sin or we're struggling with this habit that we have or we're struggling with just making ends meet with our business or our career or our family. Our children aren't behaving how we wish they would behave. And so nothing, it can't, we're right at the bottom and it's never going to get any better. You know, it's, it, we can think about this in this way um, as individuals. We can think about it in this way as Christians. We can think about it this way, you know, just in terms of how the world works, how history works. You know, it was in 1992 that Francis Fukuyama wrote a book where he declared that actually it was the end of history, 1992. Because for him, everything that could possibly take place had taken place. Any kind of brilliant idea about um, economy, about democracy, any ideology had already happened. Of course, how wrong he was. Many, many things have happened since then. Some of them are good, some of them are not good. Or we can think about it in the tech way, with all our technology, you know, with this smartphone. And, you know, nothing could ever get any better than that. It's just extraordinary. We live right at the pinnacle. And it was actually one of the early pioneers of all this tech stuff, uh, a guy called Robert Metcalf, uh, declared that, it, it, that the pinnacle of the internet would be reached in 1996. And of course, so wrong was he that he went to a global conference on the internet in 1997 and publicly blended a copy of his words in a blender with water and then ate them with a spoon. But we can be a bit like that, whether it's like, you know, I've arrived, I've read this book, I've, I've been to these conferences, I've been a part of this church, you know, I've been around the block, I kind of know what I think and that's it, or I'm in the pit, I'm just never going to get any better. And so we need to, to, to be the kind of people who are actually on a journey with Jesus and taking another step with him. And Jesus even says, he corrects and says, actually, it's to your advantage. So we're going to look, first nothing, then everyone, and then all truth. First nothing. This is verses 5 and 6. And there Jesus draws out their question. He, he says, you're, you're not asking where I'm going. The interesting thing, of course, about this is actually when you read through this whole section, they have already asked this very question in one form or another twice. Chapter 13, verse 36. Chapter 14, verse 5. They've already asked this question. So what does Jesus mean by saying you're not asking it? What he means, I think, is they've got to the point whereby they're so in the mindset that nothing could ever be any better than, as I put it, Easter Sunday, or nothing could ever be any better than being in Israel and Galilee with Jesus, fishing with Jesus. What could possibly be better than that? That they, they don't even want to ask the question anymore. 
Like, they're like a deer in headlights. It's like nothing. I don't even want to think about the fact that he's going. This is the best it could ever be. And I don't even want to articulate the question that's still on my mind and heart. I've asked it twice. I'm not going to ask it a third time. And that's, I think, where they are. And in a sense, of course, they're right. I mean, what could be better than sitting next to Jesus? I mean, what could be better? But then, of course, the Spirit comes. One theologian of uh, the 19th century put it like this. The Spirit's coming is not merely to make up for the absence of Jesus, but to complete his presence. It is to your advantage that I'm going. Do you feel like that? Or are you still saying nothing could be better? Nothing could be better. There was a man who was being interviewed by a um, uh, a mission organization in London for a job, a young man. And the senior pastor, he got through all the different levels of interview, and finally he was down with the senior pastor in the kind of panel conversations. And the senior pastor looked at him and said, are you going to cause any trouble? And the young man said, no, I'm not going to cause any trouble. And the senior pastor said, I got you. Actually, I want you to say, yeah, because I want you to do something. I want you to make waves. Look, I want you to have some fire. And the young man said, I've, I've got a little bit of fire. And, and, and the senior pastor said, look, I understand that things happen that can discourage you. That happens to all of us. Of course, it happens to me. It happens to you. It happens to all of us. There are times that we don't feel fiery. But what I want to know is, if I picked you up and I dropped you in the Thames, the river, would there be steam? Let me ask you that question. If I picked you up, as it were, and I dropped you in the Chicago River. Would there be steam? Of course things happen that discourage us. But with the power of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, there should at least be steam. It should be like, you know, when you take out that hot saucepan off the top of the stove and put it under water. That's what it's meant to be like being a Christian. Filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit's fire. So we've got nothing. And then Jesus says, well, actually, it's better for everyone. This is verses 7 through to 11. And in this section here, Jesus is describing the Spirit's work, of course, of convicting really the whole world. So in John's gospel, the world and God have this relationship. That is, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But now there's another sending. God so loved the world that now he's sending the Spirit to the world so that the convicting presence of Jesus in Israel is now not confined to Israel but now is over the whole world and and you, you just got to think through what I mean how many people actually believed in in Jesus when he was physically present I mean maybe the disciples kind of I mean even they were a little flaky frankly but then the spirit came and they were of course energized and preached and then the gospel was taken to the four corners of the earth and now we have not just millions but billions of people believe in Jesus and so Jesus was right. It's to your advantage because the spirit has come. 
And so when the Spirit moves powerfully in an individual or in a church or in a movement, there's always a fresh zeal for the mission of the church, both locally and globally, because the Spirit is at work convincing us of well, Jesus said, let me just explain here the three things that Jesus says the Spirit is doing. Convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit's work. When the Spirit is, is at work, there's a fresh conviction of sin. And how we need to pray for that in our day and age. How we need the conviction of the Spirit to persuade us, to persuade people that there actually is a problem for which Jesus is the solution. How we need the idols to come crashing down. Spirit, would you convict this City, this, this city of Chicago, this city of Wheaton, this country, that there is a, a serious problem for which only the blood of Jesus is the solution. We need the Spirit's power to do that. How we need that. You know, I was reading just this week, the la- last week, there was a, um, a young woman who'd been sort of pretending to be something she wasn't in New York City in Manhattan. She'd been working the, the social scene there, and she'd been pretending to be a German heiress worth 60 million or so. But of course she wasn't. She was just using that to get in the, in the right circles with, you know, the, the Gucci sunglass circles or whatever it is, the, the Yves Saint Laurent, the right kind of, you know, the movers and shakers in Manhattan. And she's pretending to be something she wasn't, so she could get their money in order to try and build some kind of portfolio. And it all came crashing down. And last week she was convicted by a judge of having made it all up. And she's going to face probably, it hasn't been sentenced yet, but it could face 15 years in jail. And we're so like that. It's fascinating reading. One commentator on this, the, one of the guys who'd actually been swindled by this person, said she is, is, is like the kind of the, the, the malignant child of our Instagram age. Got all this pretense, like everyone's perfect, and everyone's life looks so exciting on Facebook, and, and everyone looks so perfect on Instagram. How we need the work of the Spirit to convict of not just our imperfections, that's far too minor and small an idea, but our depravity, our disease, our moral cancer, and that's the work of the Spirit. And then the work of the Spirit is to show us, uh, the, 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 convict us in terms of righteousness. What Jesus means here is not, is, is the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith. And so the righteousness here is what's called the imputed righteousness, that, God, that, God's, that Christ's righteousness is reckoned to us by faith. So in other words, we need the Spirit's help. It's such a mystery. It's hard for us intellectually to grasp. We need the Spirit's help to convince us that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, when we put our faith in Jesus, not only are we forgiven our sins, but actually we stand righteous before God. And he forgets our sins. And when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and how we need that persuasion these days. You know, on the one hand, we need to be convicted of sin and all its depravity, but as Christians, we need to be convinced that we're free from that and righteous in his eyes. You know, in the Napoleonic Wars, uh, there was a, a couple of twins back, back when Napoleon was emperor in France. A couple of twins. One was sent off to the Napoleonic Wars, but he was, he was given the wrong name. He was given his twin's name. And in the Napoleonic Wars, he died there and was buried under his twin's name. And they came to the other twin to take him off to the Napoleonic Wars as well. And the other twin said, you can't take me. I'm already dead. That's exactly what we need to say when the devil, if you're a Christian, And the devil comes to you and says, you've sinned. 
and you deserve to die, what you need to say is, I'm already dead. I'm already dead. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We have his righteousness. You know, I wonder sometimes whether we're so silent about Jesus out there in the world because actually we're not sure we, we're righteous to be able to talk about Jesus. But of course you're not righteous. But in Christ you are and therefore you can describe that beauty. And so the Spirit's work is to convince us of that but also Jesus says to convince us in terms of judgment for the prince of this world is judged so this judgment is not about the final judgment though of course that's a part of it but primarily what Jesus is talking about here is that at the death and resurrection of Jesus the prince of this world that is Satan is judged that is he is defeated that is he's declared of course the prince of the world the Satan is still active today but at the cross he is defeated he's judged and declared vanquished. Paul says, at the cross, Jesus made a public spectacle over the principalities and and the powers, triumphing over them by the cross. He's defeated. He's how we need that, how we need the Spirit to convince people. People are so fascinated with the supernatural, with horror movies and 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 the evil eye, and you know, that I I need my lucky rabbit foot or whatever it is. I've got all these kind of all this fear about the supernatural and what, what, what the Spirit's role is to convince us that if we're in Christ, we need have no fear whatsoever that we can, we can we, he has given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the evil one. Now we're not naive about what the devil's up to, of course. We, we, we don't rush into temptation. We flee from temptation, but we're not frightened of his work. You know, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but he's been judged and therefore he, he has no teeth. And so all he can really give you if you're a Christian is a good gumming, as I heard someone say, you know, it's like, you're in Christ's hands. And so, and so the, the Spirit is to convince us of these things. And it is for the whole world. How many billions now follow Jesus because of the work of the Spirit? Sure. So Jesus says, it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage. Because it's better for everyone, the world. But then also, it's better for all truth. This is the final part. And it's uh, verses uh, uh, 12 to 16 there in the passage. And Jesus there describes how the work of the Spirit is not only this kind of broad work to the world, but a deep work, all truth. And when the Spirit is powerfully at work, not only is there a new heart for mission, there's a new heart for the Bible. There's a new heart for truth. You know, often we think, oh, you know, if the Spirit, if people talk about the Spirit too much, it will get all superficial. But that's, that's not the work of the Spirit. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, what happened? There was a huge revival. Many people came to Christ. Yes, so convinced in terms of everyone. But what then happened? What then happened is the people then gathered and gave their hearts to the apostles' teaching. There's a desire for all truth. And so when the Spirit comes with power, you will have a renewed desire for the Word of God, for the, for the truth of God, for the, for the Holy Scriptures. You'll long to study God's Word because His work, his, the Spirit's work, is to convince us, to to drive us or to guide us into all truth. Now I say that, but there is a, that's really by a secondary application. The primary meaning here 
of what Jesus is saying. As he looks at the apostles, the Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. What he's primarily talking about is how the, the apostles are going to be now promised and will be, author, will be given the power to authorize the New Testament, the inspiration. The, 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 so Jesus here is talking about revelation through the apostles. Now we have in the New Testament not just the illumination of our minds, the revelation of God. And so, so the, what, what theologians call the verbal plenary inspiration, the very words we have in the New Testament are breathed out by God, by Jesus' promise. And so now we have this whole counsel of God. The, the Old Testament is now completed in Jesus' work and the record of that and the description of that and the full unfolding of that is now in the New Testament. So now we have all truth. And if you have the Spirit of God powerfully at work in you, you will have not just a fire for the unreached, you'll have a fire for the Bible. You'll have a fire to discover all truth. You'll have a fire to learn more. You'll never, never, never get to the point in this world where you say, you know, I've got it. I've heard enough sermons. You know, I've read enough books. No, you'll, you'll go to the bookstore outside, you'll go to the library upstairs, you, you'll say, I've got, I've got to read more, I've got to study more, I've got, I've got to get into God's Word. This is all truth thing. And you say, well, doesn't, isn't that, I don't need that. I'm, I'm just a simple guy. I don't need all this. <laughs> you know, there was, look at it this way. Say you had the opportunity to build your own house, right? You had some reason or other, you had the resources to build your own house. And um, finally it had been done and you were going to go and inspect all the work that had been done for this new house that you had designed from scratch, your house, and you get there. You know, people say, I just want the foundation, I just want the essence of uh, Christianity. I don't need all this other stuff. Anyway, you're building this house and you get there and you you look there and it's just the foundation. It's nothing else. You know, how about a wall or two, you would say to the builder, or maybe a roof, that'd be good. Yeah, you may, you may have the essence of Christianity, but do you have the wall? Do you have the, are the windows in the right place? Do you have the, the roof around how you understand Christianity? You should have a desire for the whole counsel of God. So the work of the Spirit is not only broad, it's also deep, deep. Jesus is saying it's better because it's both those things. And in its depth, it's always exalting Jesus. So people sometimes think when, when the Spirit comes of power, then we're going to talk a lot about the Spirit. No. When the Spirit comes with power, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus because his role is to glorify me, Jesus says, to glorify Jesus, to glorify the Son. So it's better. Yeah, in one sense, nothing could be better than being with Jesus in Israel. Yeah, of course. But Jesus says, actually, it's to your advantage because now the spirit of Jesus is for everyone, convicting and sin and righteousness and judgment, and for all truth, the word of God, glorifying Jesus. Let me leave you with this. Just uh, the other week, a woman came out of a coma. She was originally from the United Arab Emirates. She'd been in a car accident, and in that car accident... At the last moment, when she saw another, they were about to crash, she was next to her son. And she grabbed her son and protected her son. And the, the, the crash came, and the son was fine, or basically fine, but she was badly injured, and she went into a coma. 
flew her to London, then flew her to Germany, somewhere in Germany, maybe it's Berlin, to take care of her. And she was in a coma for 27 years. And then last week she woke up. Very rare, very unusual for this to happen. But it did happen. And the first word she spoke was the name of her son. Oh, bride of Christ. Wake up. Wake up. When the Spirit of God comes in power upon your life, the word in your lips will be, Jesus, Jesus. pray together. Our Lord God, would you come with great power upon us this morning? And yes, we do pray that you convict us in terms of sin, but also righteousness and judgment that you have the victory over all the powers of evil. We pray you give us a fresh desire for your word in all its truth and a fresh awakening to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.